right, so 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to get through two verses today. Uh, again, just one sentence. Uh, I promise I'll pick up the pace a bit. Um, I, the next passage will be a little bit uh, a little bit broader, but even as I was praying in preparation for last week's message, felt like this was a standalone concept, and I think it was a standalone concept in particular tied to what Brandon was teaching uh, last week. But for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you if you don't have your Bibles open, look just go back to first or look at First Timothy, because I want to go back a verse or so. If you remember, uh, the message that we had last week concluded with, um, you know, cautions around those who would prohibit uh, really a liberty in Christ. And uh, in verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving uh, of them which believe and know the truth. And then we see our, our text for today. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And so we're going to, we need to go back and kind of talk about Acts 10 and Acts 11 for a moment. And uh, Peter recounts the events of Acts 10, which is the message that Brandon spoke on last week. Brandon Briscoe spoke about where Peter's up on the roof, down comes the sheep with the animals. He's like, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat it despite you telling me it's okay. Uh, and, And that like, but what's interesting is in Acts 11... Peter recounts this story and hits on many of the same topics, which is why I think it's in both 10 and 11. But it's really important that we at least touch on a few of the concepts that Peter recounts and how they apply. So in Acts 11 and verses 7 through 9, he says, And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. And, and I remember when Brandon was, uh, you know, his message was clear and it was, it was appropriate and doctrinally accurate, etc. And I'm not challenging it in any way, shape or form. But, you know, you can't cover everything. Uh, you know, the word of God is infinite. It's deep, right? So, so he couldn't cover everything. But I remembered last week, <clears throat> especially in light of preparing for this, thinking... <clears throat> that Peter was faced with a challenge. He was faced with a challenge of a transition. And so he was actually doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing by saying, no, Lord. He wasn't, I mean, Peter, I mean, I mean, look, if there was anybody that I would want to be, have zealousness like, it's Peter, but I would also like to hope I would apply a little bit of common sense and not challenge the Lord. I might not say, not so, Lord. I might, I would hope, I would say something like, but I thought you said in Leviticus 11, (laughs) like, explain yourself a little bit, Lord, because now it sounds inconsistent with what you've previously told, right? And so, um, so I think he was, he was trying to be dogmatic. He was trying to be faithful to scripture and he believed he was following the Lord's command and we are going to look at Leviticus 11 here in a moment but he, the eating was a pro, was literally a pro, part of the prohibition or, or an eating prohibition was part of the first command 
literally in Genesis chapter 2. Specifically in verse 17, it, it preceded it a little bit in verse 16. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. So God has been using food and the consumption of things and other things, the prevention or prohibition rather of those things as a bit of a, of a proving ground, as a bit of a line in the sand since the very beginning of humanity, right? So, so this, is, this is a consistent trait of God, right? And Peter identified with his culture and people group. And this was something that was very, very kind of a, a little note that Brandon made last week that this had to do with his identity as a Jew, this had to do with things that were that he had fundamentally burned into himself over time. And so by changing this, that was kind of a big deal. It was kind of a big deal. Specifically, notice in Deuteronomy 14 that there's, there's not just the prohibition, but there's also an identification associated with what... The, 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 the people of God, the Jewish, the nation of Israel and their consumption. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. Like literally this verse three, thou shalt not eat any abominable thing is a little bit of a example a little bit, it's not a summary because that's an illustration of who they are. It's not the definition of who they are. But God literally identify or connects their identity with the food they do and don't consume. So this goes to a very deep place within Peter. This isn't a preference. This isn't a style. This isn't a, a, a way of just, hey, I like this and you like that. I mean, I prefer not eating this and you prefer it. No, he, he's getting to a, God by, by saying to Peter, arise, Peter, slay and eat, was changing the rules. Okay? And that's an important part doctrinally, dispensationally in the book of Acts, Another study for another day, but it is important because the way it was was no longer going to be the way it is or the way it would be. Okay? And so this moment in Acts 10 that's recounted in Acts 11 marks a fairly significant transition in Scripture. God is consistent. What he prohibited for an identity of his people, he is now, is now allowing because of the Gentiles being able to be saved. Okay? We're going to look more into that in, in just a moment. But notice what was unclean. Now, Brandon, when he spoke last week, he read, I think, maybe a couple verses, and he's like, and that goes on for a while. And it goes on for 40 some odd verses, maybe even into 50 verses. I'm not, I, this may be the, 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 dip, the, the end of it, so it probably is 47 <laughs> verses. But notice, for I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, separate yourselves, be different. Sanctifying is not making holy, it's setting it apart. You're going to be different, okay? And ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So God is using these, he's not limiting or prohibiting them just because of the nature of the things being consumed. He is saying, I want you to be identified as different. Okay? So I'm setting the groundwork here for, for an argument or a, a principle here in the future as we continue. <coughs> this is the law of the beast, of the fowl and the creature, the moving, uh, move upon the waters and, 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 and that like. I mean, literally, there was the, this, you know, a granular level of discussion in Leviticus of a fish had to have both fins and scales, right? So they couldn't eat shrimp because shrimp had fins least has tail fins but it didn't have scales it had a shell right so shrimp was on the bad list i would imagine in the rivers and streams and 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 that like of of israel i don't know this i didn't study it that you could get a you could get a crawdad right out of a, a crayfish out of out of the, the streams but don't eat it why because it's bad for you no because you're different Okay. Now, there have been lots of people who have made really cogent, very reasonable arguments that the diet that the Jews had as a result of this prohibition was actually a better diet than just eating everything. And I'm, I'm certainly not here to refute that. But in light of 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul clearly says, Paul clearly says, you can eat anything. Okay, you can eat anything. <clears throat> what I did, and I don't know if you've ever done this as a, as a, this didn't happen a few years ago. It wasn't a tool that was available for Bible study. And I would not put it in an official, like if I was, uh, if I was be, if I was to be asked to teach in LFBI the rules of Bible study, I would not teach the use of a word cloud as a rule of Bible study. Okay, <laughs> but it is illustrative. You're good. It is illustrative. So what I did is I literally just copied, using a Bible app, Leviticus chapter 11, and dropped it in a word cloud generator, which are free on the internet. You can literally paste, I removed all the numbers, and just pasted it in the word, word cloud generator. This is what that word cloud generator looked like. Came, came. Now what they did is they removed things like ye, and I think shall, and things like that. And I had to limit it a little bit because there ended up being a lot of little words, okay? So you can control the number of words. But my point is, the visual illustration here is unclean, right? That is the word of Leviticus chapter 11. Now, God is defining what's unclean because he wants to set them apart, right? He doesn't say this is what you eat. He says this is what you shall not eat, okay? I guess ye is actually in there now that I look at it. But, um, <laughs> you all were like, no, it's, I see it. It's right there. <laughs> you didn't remove it. It's, you're a liar. Um, so, so I didn't mean to lie. Um, but these, these things, it's interesting, even the word carcass, right? I mean, these are the, the, the tone that is, sitting, that is being set by God in a Leviticus chapter 11 is a differentiator. These are the things that are unclean, therefore you will not partake them. Okay? Now, a non-dispensational 
Christ-ist, if that's even a word, a person who doesn't believe in a dispensational theology has trouble with this because Leviticus chapter 11 applies as does 1 Timothy chapter 4, and how do you reconcile them? Well, you reconcile them through a dispensational theology. God is changing the way he is dealing with people. God is not changing, he's changing the way he's dealing with people through the nature of his interactions with them, okay? And because that's happening in Acts chapter 11, chapter 10 and chapter 11, so we're gonna jump back into how Peter recounts those acts. Notice, so I've just added a little more to this. He said, no, not so, Lord, nothing common or un, unclean, reference Leviticus 11, had at any time entered my mouth. I'm not an unclean dude. I'm a clean dude. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God hath cleansed, what God hath cleansed, call that, or that call not thou common. Now, this has always jumped out at me as is kind of interesting wording. Because now there's an association between cleansing and uncleansing, or not, cl not clean and clean, and common or uncommon. Okay? And this is the transition in process. Okay? This is a transition in process. Matthew 15, Jesus actually kind of lays some groundwork for this transition by saying, in verse 11, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man. Wait, I thought Leviticus 11. Well, it's a different, I mean, it's the dispensation is changing. It's not that which goes into a man that uh, defileth him, right? But that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. It's the words, you know, the, the outward manifestation of your dead spirit. The spirit that needs to be reborn. And then we even see in Acts um, 11 and verse 18, just a little farther down in the passage after Peter's recounting, when they heard these things, when they heard Peter's recounting of the men coming from Joppa, the situation with the, the vision of the, of the beast that would, would have been unclean, pictures of the Gentile people, and how Peter then goes... Cornelius, he sees people saved. He says, he, he recounts all this, and when they, the, the leaders in the in the Jewish uh, the, or the heavily Jewish influenced early church, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. This is a big deal. <laughs> it's a big transition. It's not just about whether we can have bacon on our salad. It's not just about whether shrimp are on the buffet or not. It's a big, trans big doctrinal transition. It's a big doctrinal transition. Because what God hath cleansed, don't call that a common anymore. So, you know, spoiler alert, he cleanses us in the form of salvation. Okay, So what God has cleansed is no longer common. He's saying it's not that which you eat that separates you. It's whether or not you're saved that separates you. It's a very, very, I mean, it's a strong doctrinal transition. So what God has cleansed 
The illustration is food, but the purpose is the gospel to the Gentiles. The door is now open. Hey, here's a Gentile right here. I was joking with some of the guys at, at our house on, on Monday at our gathering. Uh, Michelle, what, a couple years ago did a, for Father's Day, uh, Ancestry.com. You know, I swap the thing and mail it off and they tell me who I am or whatever, at least where my genes are from, which I think were from Kohl's. I think is where I buy my jeans, but, um, <laughs> but it was a short one. It was a, yeah, it was, it was a, sir, your jeans are from Kohl's. Um, again, thank you for some of you laughing. Um, but come to find out, like, I don't know how else to put it. I'm a white dude. Like, I'm, I'm like from Ireland, from England, from Germany, from the Netherlands. Like, big surprise. I mean, it was a good gift. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like a waste of money. But could have looked in the mirror. Yep. That's me. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And oh, am I so thankful that as a Gentile, the door of salvation was opened to me. Yes. yes. Amen. And I'm looking around and I'm not seeing too many Jewish people in here. And y'all, the door of salvation was and is open unto you. Amen. So the illustration is food, but the purpose is this transition, this doctrinal transition. So notice this Hebrew word, okay, it, it, it's actually, I, I put Hebrew, it's a Greek word, I apologize. Greek word is to cleanse, make clean, be clean, purge, purge or purify. And about half of the time in the New Testament, it's tied to healing. About half of them, it's tied, like, for instance, tied to cleansing a leper, right? That, that kind of example. All of which, well, the vast majority of which, I think almost all of them, are illustrations of salvation, the washing away of sin, right? But the others, I think there was like maybe 30 or so times this word appears, about half of them are tied to healing. The others point to salvation. So look at these examples, Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, what? The church, us, with the washing of the water by the word. Or in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem to, uh, uh, unto us, I'm sorry, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Literally, he dips from the same illustration by saying, you should be peculiar. Mm -hmm. But you're going to be peculiar not by what's on your plate, but you're going to be peculiar by your salvation. That's going to make you different than the lost world. First John 1, 7 and verse, and verse 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Literally, this cleansing process... This cleansing, what that, what, what God has cleansed, don't call it common. You preaching, Pastor. Am I? Because I feel like I'm getting hotter. Okay, is that what happened? All right. Well, praise the Lord. I, I, I guess. Right. I feel like I'm getting warmer. Um, but he cleansed. What? 
what God has cleansed, don't call it common. Okay, so you are not common. You are not common. He's cleansed you if you're saved. And you have a purpose. I don't know how else to put it. You have a purpose in this place within these literal four walls. You have a purpose in this body. You have a purpose in the larger church. You have a purpose. So, first discipleship decision of the day. Will you focus on that which is or can be cleansed? Will you focus on that which is or can be cleansed? There are certain things that cannot be cleansed. And it's Satan and demons. Like, that's outside the bounds according to the scriptures that that apply to us for sure. So are you going to focus on that which is cleansed and that which could be cleansed and brought in? That's the point. Right. Like, and, and, and I know I joked, I really did joke when y'all came in and I said, or when I said, when I started and I said, I like seeing all but a couple of you, because as Sam would say, Christ bled out for every one of you. And how can I, how can I have a, a different opinion of any one of you, despite your background, despite your, our differences, despite the challenges we might even have in our relationship, Christ died for you. He cleansed you. I can't call you common. I I literally don't have the right to say, no, Lord, I'm not going to minister to them. Like that's, I I literally don't have the right. Which actually kind of makes it easier. Because now I can just push through whatever barriers come between us. Like we're, we're different. We're different people with different experiences, with different backgrounds, with different, just literally every aspect is different or can be different. But you know what? You're not common. So literally every creature, nothing to be refused. And then I had to do a Google Google search because after all, anything on Google is true, mm-hmm. right? I mean, <laughs> but what about what about the puffer fish? Did you know that there are twenty three? No, hear me out. Twenty three people in Japan have died since eating. It's called the fugu in J- Japanese. The fugu fish since two thousand. Now, that doesn't rise to the level of a pandemic, but it does rise to the level of, I thought Paul said everything. Well, you may or may not know the pufferfish actually can be consumed, and that's why some people die from it, because they can prepare part of the fish. And it's, it's just, so let me just read, just the, the Jap, Japanese delicacy fugu or blowfish is so poisonous that the smallest mistake in its preparation could be fatal. So there was a, quite a, quite is an article. Is it like really delicious and yeah. that's why people try? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look that delicious I, it's, it's good. Well, this is the part where it's all puffed up. I think it's, right. So, so if you want to Google it, there's there's articles. But they were interviewing, and you have to become at least up to up till recently. You have to be certified, as certified. I'll just use the word chef. I'm not sure that's the right term, but chef to prepare it. And this article was really interesting because it talked about how they have to have special containers that say "do not eat" or "do not touch" is inedible, and they have to like. So, so just hear me out. This is the most poisonous part. The the 
chef was saying, as he pulls out the ovaries, but the liver and intestines are potentially lethal too. People say it's 200 times more deadly than cyanide. Okay. Again, I'm, I've been doing fine not eating it. Um, but most of the victims of those 23 are anglers, fishermen, who rashly try to prepare their catch at home. So they don't know what they're doing. And then and um, the tetrodotoxin no, poisoning has been described as rapid and violent. At first, a numbness around the mouth, then paralysis, finally death. The unfortunate diner remains conscious to the end, and there is no antidote. This would be enough to kill you, the, the chef said, slicing off a tiny slivery of the fugu ovary and holding it up. He then carefully checks the poisonous organs on the tray, making sure he is accounted for every one, and tips them into a metal drum locked with a padlock. It will be taken to Tokyo's main fish market and burned along with the offcuts from other fugu restaurants. So, I thought Paul said you could eat everything. Well, you can eat the fugu or the blowfish, right? Or pufferfish, whatever it's called, right? You can, but you got to be careful, right? You got to be careful. So, I did more searching, and of course, the internet is true. I don't need to advance. Almost every animal. Almost every animal can be eaten if prepared correctly and specific aspects of their anatomy are properly removed. So there, right, so there's very, there's like literally a frog in the Amazon that they have not figured out a way to prepare it safely. Right. Trial by Right, right, which, right, right. I'm not, I'm, I think that's part of the problem is. They know it. It's the dark, the dark frogs, the the darts that they use, or the frogs that they use to get the dark poison starts. So they know it's dangerous enough that like they don't have people signing up. I want to eat a deadly frog. So, but the point is, Paul is in fact accurate when he's like everything can be eaten, everything, and and again, most of the risk is tied to eating the wrong parts, preparing it wrong or the animal being contaminated by something. So a lot of the top uh, poisonous animals in and of themselves are not poisonous. It's just that they often live in an environment that's contaminated. And it, if you ingest that, you could ingest lethal or, or high, highly toxic levels of, of bad stuff, okay? But this is contextual. Do not let a Bible's Bible scholar, someone challenged you by saying, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. But what about the dart frog in the Amazon? That's not the point. And I'm not trying to explain away scripture because I bet there's a way to eat that frog. Out of the hundreds of thousands and millions of different species out there, I bet every one of them is able to be consumed in some way, shape, or form. But this is contextual. This is about what is placed in front of you to eat and normal things that would be prohibited by others. Remember, we talked about forbidding to marry in verse 3 and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them. That um, 
uh, of them which believe and know the truth. So this is less about, well, is there an animal out there I can or can't, or that I can't eat, right? That's not the point. The point is, has someone put a puffer fish, a blowfish on your plate and said, eat this? Well, until they do, I'm not sure it's a, a logical argument. I'm not sure it's even relevant. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Zambia, Africa, and we broke off into twos and went into literally what they call the bush, uh, where you might drive for miles on a road and never see another vehicle. You might only see one or two other people. Uh, went Ended up in a very small community where um, a, a, a bundle of trash and some moderate duct tape and string was what they used to create a soccer ball or a football to play. Uh, trees constituted their goals. Uh, there were only a couple of built or structures in the community. They were grass hut, um, uh, hardened mud structures, and went and preached at a church uh, in this environment. And we were told that afterward we would be provided a meal and that whatever was put in front of us, we would eat. Now, I prayed extra hard and I ended up with chicken. <laughs> Not everyone on our team was so lucky. Some people ended up eating things like porcupine and other food that they described as rancid tasting. But everything was able to be consumed. This is contextual to if God has put it in front of you to eat, especially as part of your as part of a ministry, it's able to be eaten. Don't miss the spiritual application. If somebody walks through that door, they're able to be ministered to. Right? If the food is just a spirit is, is just an illustration of the spiritual truth that God has opened the door to the Gentiles, that it's no longer about the nature of what it was, it too can be cleansed, not common or peculiar. It can be they can be ministered to, right? So this is contextual. Don't don't allow someone to try to pull out scriptures and twist it in such a way and say, see, the scripture's inconsistent. Leviticus says you can't eat it, and now First Timothy says you, you can't eat everything, right? Don't let, them, don't let them mess with your scriptures that way. But what if it was sacrificed to idols? So, okay, Peter's down with the fact that he can now eat everything because God has opened the door. But what if it's, what if it's about sacrifice, food sacrificed to idols? Even with this... It's no longer about the food. It's about testimony and conscience. So I do want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We need to spend a few moments there. And so it's best to look at the passage in Scripture. Again, in front of you or on an app or something. I am going to read the entire chapter. Bear with me. It is only uh, the 13 verses. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So this is talking about testimony. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. 
and that there is none other God but one. So the, the idols, they literally don't, they don't exist. They're just the manifestation of, of, of man. So it's, there's only one God. It's not as if it's actually being offered up to another God. For though there be, in verse 5, uh, that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there uh, be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. Not everybody understands this concept that there is in fact only one God. They have given, they've given credence to these idols having some value. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat, as it, uh, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. They're bothered by the fact that food that has been, uh, you know, they bring a cow in, they sacrifice the cow to, the, to this idol and now somebody else is like, well, I can't eat that. That's been sacrificed to an idol. Now we know the idol doesn't really exist. It's just, it's right. just a thing. So the food is just as good as the, at the price chopper or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. It, the idol doesn't really exist. But meat commendeth us not to God. So it's not what we eat that gets, gives us a relationship with God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not, are we the worse. It literally is, by definition, irrelevant. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Now they might think they, they should do that. And through the not thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So it's no longer about the food. It's about the testimony of the consumption of the food. But when ye sin, so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make thy, my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. So Paul is changing the dynamic of the believer. So hear me, believer. If you are not a believer, just bear with me for a moment. He's changing it by saying, look, liberty in Christ is precious. What we consume doesn't affect our, our relationship with God. It literally is irrelevant. But don't be a stumbling block to others. There was a, a pastor in the area who I've had it recounted to me. I didn't actually hear it. I, I believe it to be a, uh, to be factual. Stood up in front of his congregation and said something to the effect of, would it bother you if I was eating dinner with my wife and I had a, a glass of wine or a beer on my table? Anybody in the congregation, would that bother? Raise your hand. There were some people that raised their hand. And he said, Therefore, whether I can or not, I won't do it because I don't want to offend you. 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 
that's the kind of attitude we need to have with respect to the, these kind of situations. It's not about whether drinking is okay or not. That's irrelevant. Paul is saying it's now about conscience and about testimony. And this pastor was convicted enough that his testimony, irrespective of whether he had the liberty or not to drink, was more important than the consumption of that of that drink. Are you tracking? Yep. Okay. So liberty in Christ. This is I, I I've tried to figure out ways to do ways to say this, but liberty in Christ is not about what you can do because Christ has saved you. It's about what you won't do to offend others. Okay? And I know that sounds backwards because, well, Mitch, liberty means I can do anything. Well, pr pretty much. I mean, yeah, maybe not everything, but, but there is liberty in Christ. But it also means I've now been empowered to discern when it's going to affect you, and I can abstain. I can abstain from that which is clean, using the Old Testament example. I cannot eat meat sacrificed idols, even though I know it doesn't have any value. So here, or the, the idol has no value. So here's the practical, or practical application of that. Your actions, believer, may offend somebody. Mm -hmm. And if your actions offend somebody, you ought to stop it. Right? Now you need to know, you need to understand it. But the biblical response of Paul in that context is, then I will not eat any meat ever again if that's what it's going to... If, uh, if my actions are offending Shane, then I'm going to change my actions. Even though I have the liberty in Christ to do whatever it is that offends Shane, I need to abase myself <coughs> so that I can minister to Shane. Okay? So, but if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols... Eat not for his sake that showed it. If somebody comes and says, but this was this was sacrificed to this God, how can you eat it? I won't eat it if that's a, if that's a problem to you. I won't eat it. See how simple that is? But what about my rights? You're right. I have the right to eat it. I have liberty in Christ. But I should be more concerned about Amen. the other person. Right? For the uh. Lord, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. I can eat that. I can eat the puffer fish. I can probably eat the dart frog in the Amazon, <laughs> but I'm probably never going to have, to Christy's point, like, I'm, even if I get to Japan someday and visit, like, I'm not going to seek out a restaurant there. My guess is it's pretty darn expensive, too, but I'm not going to be like, I want to try to eat the fish that might kill me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm also going to be mindful of those that I interact with, Right? I'm not going to put myself in a situation to, to, to be an offense, right? And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. And how many times have we heard that? Well, I have the right to do that, Pastor. I have the right to eat whatever. I can drink if I want. You're, you're absolutely right. You, you can. It isn't prohibited at all. But if you're discipling somebody... And you want to have a beer over discipleship, and that's bothering them, now it's sin. And it has literally nothing to do with what you're putting in. 
It has to do with the testimony, right? That's the problem. Conscience, I say, not mine, thine own, but of the other. For where, or for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Like, my liberty should never get in the way of someone else's conscience. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a point at which there's obviously limitations. So somebody might walk through this door, and I've had these kinds of interactions, not this specific one, where they'll come in and say, women shouldn't be able to wear jeans. Some of the ladies here are wearing pants. Like, that's against scripture. Well, now they're looking for a fight as compared to wanting to learn and saying, hey, it bothers me that, you know, women are wearing jeans. Well, let's sit down and look at why that's why that is now permitted and and why not every woman that walks in here wearing jeans is trying to offend you. <laughs> right. So there will be some limitations and we will protect the unity when it's appropriate. But just be just please, please be mindful that your actions have an effect on others. They just do. So the contrast, so received with thanksgiving as we kind of bring it in for a landing. So there was a contrast between the Old Testament Jew and the New Testament believer. Thanksgiving in the Old Testament, it's interesting, was primarily tied to praise and sacrifice. So if you were to do a, a, a word search in the, old, or in the scripture of thanksgiving, you would almost always see it tied to a sacrifice or to a song of praise. You wouldn't see it tied to eating. Okay, The traditional Jewish pre-meal blessing, so this is, I, I found it in a couple different places. I believe it to be generally accurate. This Baruch Atah Adonai Elo Hei Nu Melech Hei Olam. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, which this is, it's interesting because they will not spell Lord or God, so they put the hyphens for, for O king of the universe and then they would add these in they wouldn't say it in english of course but they would say it in hebrew who brings forth bread from the earth if it was tied to bread or who creates various kinds of sustenance or who creates the fruit of the vine or the fruit of the tree or the fruit of the earth or who or by whose word all things came to be notice it's interesting because most of us when we pray like literally, if you go over and have yourself some walking tacos in a few minutes, you will probably not just praise God for creating the Frito, okay? Or creating the lettuce or the sour cream or the meat. You will thank him, if you pray before you eat, you will thank him for the food, okay? And this is in part cultural it's become cultural because of this early New Testament. <laughs> Notice Jesus changed the pattern of the Old Testament to be from praising God for who he is to being a concept of thanksgiving. All of these verses, in some way, shape, or form, talk about Jesus giving thanks, even those that, that reference it. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them, uh, break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So it's different. He doesn't just praise God for being the creator of the food. He says, thank you for giving it to me to receive. That's a, that's an, it's another mild difference, but that is a difference. So the key is thanksgiving. Again, it's not about the food. It's about the opportunity to minister. In Romans 14, him that is weak in the faith receive ye... 
but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth judge him that eateth not. For God hath received him. We mentioned this last week. God receives both those who are meat eaters, those who are not. He receives both of them. Don't don't let that stand in your way of ministry. He that regardeth the day, regardeth unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, the day regardeth to the, uh, to the Lord, he regardeth it not. Regard it not, or doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth thanks. And he that eateth not, as to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody sets something in, in front of you, let me rephrase that. If you end up with something in front of you, and you don't want to eat it, if you have the relationship with the person, no thanks. I would prefer not to have that. Okay. I didn't have that opportunity in Zambia because we didn't want to offend. Right? And fortunately, I mean, it, it was chicken. It was rooster. And I had never eaten rooster before. <laughs> and it took me a while to get it down. But I got it down. So it brings us to our last point. Will you see every challenge as an opportunity to minister? Like literally, there's going to be things, and God, trust me, God will do this in your life. You'll be like, I want to be a minister, Lord. And then he'll be like, okay. And he puts this little thing right in front of you, and now you have a choice. Is my thing more important than the ministry? Is my thing more important than their conscience? That's right. And it's a thing. And he's going to prove you like that. And I can't tell you how many times I've both passed and failed that test. Yeah. <laughs> it could be music. It could be your decor. It could be the way you dress within parameters. It could be food. There's all sorts of different things that could be an offense. That could be an offense. And I, you know, if somebody says, hey, bald men offend me, uh, sorry, bro, I can't grow it out. (laughs) Like, even if I did, I was talking with Michelle, even if I did, I would just have this little thing like the ring, like right here. That's all I, like. Did you get enough to do the comb over, though? Comb over. Okay, there's some lines I will not cross. (laughs) You're going to have to be offended. That's just the way it is. You're just going to have to be offended. I am not doing the comb over. Um... But every challenge is an opportunity to minister. Every challenge. So again, when somebody walks through that door that's different than you, that's why I don't, I'm not concerned about that old test that if Jesus were to walk in, would we welcome him? Yeah, we would. But if a guy walks in with a long black trench coat and he's not, you know, acting square and like, we're going to, we're going to address it. Like, because now it becomes a potential safety issue, right? That's right. But they're welcome. And I'll minister to <laughs> So there's, there's this line, and it's less about me, and it's more about them. So when you're working in your ministry, when you're wanting to be in hospitality, or you're serving in the cafe, or you're doing security, it's not about you. It's about them. Let's pray. Amen. Lord, we do... Uh,